Romans 15, verse 7. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles in him, the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points, as reminding you, because of the grace given to me by God, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I have reason to glory in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I'm, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, Not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We just thank thank you that your message is for all men, all women, Lord. All nations of the earth, Lord. You have given us hope in your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. God, we just pray for your anointing in this time, Lord. We pray for your spirit to be on Jackie, Lord, and in each of our hearts, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word, that we would all see your great commission, Lord, for all the peoples of the world. God, that you do not discriminate, that you want all to know your love, Lord. We just pray again for your anointing on Jackie, Lord. Fill him with your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Corey. Man, God's good, isn't He? So, I think we're coming close to a year, if we didn't already pass it. But I'm almost done with Romans. I just thought I'd let you guys know, in case you were wondering. We've been talking about uh, the practices of the righteousness of God. And, or really, the, the evidence that the righteousness of God that's in you is coming out. People see it. See, the beginning, remember, we, we started with brokenness, right? We're broken before God, and, and He, in the miracle of justification, saves us. A bunch of big words that simply mean He's made us just as if we never sinned, sanctified us, He comes inside of us and makes us holy from the inside out, changing our wants and our desires. He glorifies us, meaning we have a future in heaven. And we have security. That was the first eight chapters. If I'd have done it that quick, we'd have been knowing Romans in one time. 
But then we, we, we talked about some of the issues, some of the difficult issues to, when we talk about God and His righteousness, the, the election of the nation of Israel, the fact that the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah. What's going to happen to them? And that the Gentiles got saved. They received uh, uh, Messiah. They, they, by faith, came into a relationship. And is God finished with the Jew? No, He still has plans for them. And that was uh, 10, uh, 9, 10, and 11 brought us there. And in chapter 12, we started talking about well, how, does, how should it come out of our life? If all that's happened to us, we by faith put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, He has saved us, then 12 through 16 is the stuff that should come bubbling out. And when we talk about this stuff, when we talk about the things, the evidences, the, the issues that should be coming out, the practices of the righteousness of God that's in my heart, coming out of my life, we start thinking about doing things. And so the, the, the struggle is, this is not like a list of things to do. This is a list of things to be. That make sense? The, the, the issue is that Christ is in you. This happens. So if this isn't happening, then we might go back to chapter 1 and say, No, Lord, I'm broken. I need you in my life. I need to come to you in faith, asking that you save me. It's not a big deal. It's not a, it's not a hard thing even. And then to surrender our heart and life to Him and allow Him to do that work so that these evidences are bubbling out of our life. When we talked about it, we talked about having uh, uh, this... Well, the, the last, last week we started working on uh, unity. We started talking about unity. That unity should be one of those earmarks of uh, a believer. That we're together. That we can get it together. Dynamic unity. We started talking about uh, a unity in our attitudes. And in the attitudes, uh, he described it for us earlier in the chapter. It's that the strong owe it to the weak to bear with him. Not to please ourselves, but to edify others. Following the example of Christ and the encouragement of the scriptures. And that unity in our attitude brings about a unity in worship. As we glorify the God who has who has brought that attitude within us. So hopefully, as we work our way through, we're going to be able to grasp it. But listen, Jesus shows us how important this idea of being unified is, of, of being one. Because in His final hours, He prayed for us to be one. John chapter 17. You guys are welcome to look at it uh, at your own. If you read the chapter, it's a high priestly prayer of Jesus. And He is asking the Father, praying for you and me. That we would be one. And he qualifies it the same way he and the Father are one. That they're unified. They're together. They're moving in the same direction. So this has really been our focus. The things that are coming out. And I'll try to summarize all of it as we we come up to the end. If it's not already dinner time by the time we get there. So we look at at Romans 15 verse 7. As we talked about the, the unity in our attitude and the unity in worship. Now we're going to see this. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So as we're talking about dynamic unity again, bubbling out of our lives, then we have this, the unity and the acceptance of others. He said, listen, therefore receive one another like Christ received us. So who shouldn't we receive? Is there somebody outside of Christ's ability to receive? 
So there's no, there's no distinction. There's no walls of separation. There's no differences between color or creed or where you grew up or how you grew up. That we're to receive all. It, specifically for them, the, the primary division at their time was Jew and Gentile. Or barbarian or Scythian. Or slave and free. But, but Paul says, we're none of those things anymore. We're all one in Christ Jesus. We've been unified together. So that we should be accepting, accepting of one another, not holding anybody aside. And the, and the key to it is that this acceptance that Jesus gives to you and I, that wasn't based on our performance because we were good, Jesus accepted us, was it? How about, was it, was it based on our worthiness because we were worth so much, Jesus accepted us? No, but he gives us a hint in this verse. He says, to the glory of God. See, it's all about the glory of God. So, His receiving is based on the glory of God. So, so God, because He is God, and He, He is longing, looking for that glory, He receives us. We miss this whole thing about glory and praise so much. So, think about your own life. Make it simple. Somebody finds you one day working on the side of the road, maybe you're in a bar or ditch somewhere and you're just slaving away. It's not a cold, frigid day where you're all icy. It's a hot, sweaty day and you're parched and you didn't have time for breakfast and there's no lunch coming and some guy just pulls up on the side of the road and, and walks over to you and says, you know, I've seen you working out here all, all hard and so I, I went over to Subway and picked you up a sandwich and I just wanted to hook you up. Will you be fairly thankful to that fellow, wouldn't you? Okay, maybe first you're looking at him like, are you poisoning me or what's going on? <laughs> because we can't imagine that somebody would do something good out of the goodness of their heart, right? But, but later on when we told that story, man, we would be talking about, wow, that, that was a pretty awesome thing this guy did. And he stopped and he went out of his way just to do this. Okay, that's praise. That's giving glory. When you see all that God has done for you, how would you withhold praise or glory? If you withhold praise or glory, then you really don't know what God's done for you, right? It's like a guy driving by and saying, Hey, have you praised me lately? And you look at him like, for what? I'm still hungry. You didn't drop me off a sandwich today. That was yesterday. So the, so the, the attitude of gratitude that comes out of a life of a person who has Christ in him, that glory and praise comes out. It's, it's what we want to be and who we want to be. So we, we want to receive those who also have like experience. They've got Christ in their life. That's my brother. Doesn't matter what he looks like, what he dresses like, where he goes to, what he's about. It, it just matters that it is, it is all about the Lord. It's based in His glory. But it's also based in the promises of Scripture. Which means this wasn't an accident that happened. God knew what was coming. So it was in the Old Testament so that we could look at it. Let's take a look. It says in Romans 15, uh, beginning at verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. To confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. As it is written... 
For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there will be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles shall hope. So it begins there in that first one in in verse 8. Christ becoming a servant to Israel. It shows us the length that he is willing to go in order to save. In order to be a part of our lives, in order to be with us. It said in verse 8, Now I say, Jesus Christ become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. In that verse, in that concept, you have the incarnation, the distance from heaven to earth. And the fact that not only was he incarnate, but he, he came in as a man, in the likeness of man, as a doulos, a slave. He didn't come as a king or exalted. He came as regular Joe. And as regular Joe, he came and he walked and he, he wants to reveal to us the length that he goes, that he's willing to go in order to, in order to save, in order to make a difference, uh, for the nation of Israel. The promises that were confirmed by Him were those that were spoke of all the world being blessed through the birth of Messiah. So He's saying, okay, here's it's based on the glory of God, the fact that we're supposed to receive one another. And He also says, and it was God's plan all before. When, the, when Abraham received the promise, it went something like this. Abraham, I'm going to bless you through your seed... All the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, how many people would that include? Oh, so you mean so God had a plan for everybody back in the Old Testament? Yeah, and who was that plan through? Messiah. He didn't say, Abraham through your seeds. He said, Abraham through your seed. One person born through the line of Abraham. Later on, through the line of David. Later on, in the the tribe of Judah, through the line of David, we have, as he's going to talk about here in a moment, the root of Jesse. So the promise of Messiah is Old Testament plan. God has a plan and a purpose for his people. So then look where he goes. He also wants us to realize that it's centered in glorifying God. Look at the beginning of verse 9. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So the idea is that the Messiah would come and Gentiles will glorify God. Remember the guy getting the lunch on the side of the road. Minuscule event that would that would get a lot of praise for for helping somebody out. Now you have God leaving heaven, coming to earth, saving mankind, Gentiles getting saved, and they praise the Lord. They're praising God. So as they <clears throat> praise Him, it's centered in the praise, centered in the glorifying of God. That we would be thankful to God. That we would give praise to God for what He's done. There's value to that. And that, and because I give praise and you give praise and they give praise and somebody else gives praise, we can be unified and receive one another. We're the same. And we may be on different sides of the earth. We may be in different parts of the country. But we can receive one another. He says then, in the second part, that it's uh, for this reason, uh, I will confess to you, among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. So you have the praise issuing forth. 
The, the Gentiles are going to praise Him. We see this was all part of God's plan. God was going to reach all of mankind, all the nations, blessed through Jesus Christ. And so, since God's plan is to everyone, and we're all supposed to praise, we're all one big happy family. So we ought to be able to unite in that concept. And the testimony that he gives here out of the Psalms is a testimony from King David. And we look at the first one from King David, Psalm 18, 46 through 50 says this, The Lord lives, blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. He also lifts me up above those who rise against me. For you have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praise to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king, and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. So, David, experiencing the goodness of God, and the promises of God, and the deliverance of God, praises God. And so the Lord uses those praises And here we see Paul quoting from them and saying, look, just like this. Look at David praise God for what God did for him. And that praise, that desire to glorify God unifies. When our premium desire, I just don't want you to miss this. When our premium desire is to glorify God, we find less things to argue about. If my premium desire is to be entertained, we might not get along. I guess something entertains me, but it doesn't entertain you. You guys get what I'm saying? But if my premium goal is to glorify God, and your premium goal is to glorify God, we may do it different ways, but we see each other glorifying God, giving God the glory. We're unified. We're, we have uni- unity in living for His glory. Living our life for Him. He's the prize. If heaven's the prize, you're missing it. If the streets of gold surprise, you're missing it. If there's anything else <clears throat> that's the prize, the ones whom we love, who are in heaven ahead of us, if that's the prize, you're missing it. <clears throat> the, centri- the, the central point, the central issue, is the prize is Jesus Christ. And His glory. That means forever I owe Him. Thanks and praise and glory because it was a whole lot bigger deal than me working in a bar or ditch. For Him coming from heaven to earth, putting on flesh, walking in my shoes, dying my death. And then saying to me, look, if, if you're willing to receive it, I'll come into you. And I'll make you clean and I'll make you holy. And I'll usher you into heaven. That's my goal. If you don't want me to, I won't come. But if you want me to, I'm here, knocking. And he, he deserves our glory. The, the Psalms, the, the other Psalm that we see is Psalm 117, 1 and 2, <clears throat> which talks about the truth of the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples, for his, his merciful kindness is great toward us. And the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. So we're just seeing the expression in the Old Testament. But listen. All this is written before it ever happened. You get that. I mean, they're, they're writing down their songs and they're singing about the Gentiles praising God. And the Gentiles weren't praising God. When they got together for church, there were no Gentiles in the synagogue. You get that, right? 
Nobody was hanging out. When the, when the Jews got together, they had no issues. Before the church came, they had no issues. They get together for potluck, nobody brought bacon. <laughs> the day after the church is born at Pentecost, and they say, hey, let's get together for a potluck. And all of a sudden, bacon and pork and all this other stuff started showing up. And then they started having the fight over food. Why? Because glorifying God wasn't the most important thing. Food kind of snuck in. Or what day you worship. Or what style of music you like. Or you get what I'm saying. So as long as the, the central point, we're able to unify, glorify God, bring honor and glory to Him. And this was discussed in the Old Testament before it ever happened because it was always God's plan. It was always God's purpose. It was always what God was going to be doing. And ultimately it, it is fulfilled with the coming of the Messiah. Look at verse 12. And again Isaiah says, there will be a root of Jesse... And he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. I love it when we talk about stuff like this and I say things like, oh, it's Jesus. And you guys go, yeah, whatever, you know. Just, you can make the Bible say anything you want. <clears throat> well, you can't do that if you're actually intellectually honest with the Bible. If you're psycho, which there are a few of those people, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. But... but Jackie, how do you know this is talking about Jesus? I mean, come on. How, how, can, you, how can you say that? Well, let's look at it. <clears throat> look at Isaiah 11.1. 1. Another prophecy concerning this concept, the root and the rod. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch will grow out of his roots. Now, I want you to think about what's happening. There will come Jesse, the, who is David's father. Everybody know Jesse's David's father. He's a stem. Think a little tiny stem on a tender plant. And a rod, a rod is something big and strong, is going to grow out of that little stem. So something big and powerful and amazing is coming out of this little stem. So the, this rod will come forth out of, <clears throat> out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch is going to grow out of the roots. Now, the roots, the roots, roots are under the ground. It's hard to see a branch. The, the word for branch, by the way, in Hebrew is Natser. Um, there was this town that they, they gave the name to. And this little kid grew up in it. His, his name was, was Jesus. The name of the town was Natsereth. The branch. It will grow out of the roots of David. But that, that, anyways, that's just interesting. But that's not, that's not the point. They go down in, in Isaiah 11 to verse 10. And in that day there will be a root of Jesse. A root. So someone that comes from the line of David. A root of Jesse, right? A child from Jesse. But the root is the origin of Jesse. So something's going to come from the origin of Jesse out of the root of Jesse. Somewhere from the family of Jesse, someone or something that can say they have uh, 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 the ability to say, I'm part of the origin, the one who created him, <clears throat> who shall stand as a banner to the people, and the Gentiles will seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Man, oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But oh, I don't know, Jackie, how are you, how you going to bring that back to Jesus? Yeah. Well, look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23 says, Behold, the days are coming. Verse 5 says the Lord, I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will finally be safe. Now this is his name by which he has been called. Don't miss this. 
It's Yahweh Tiskanu. Or the Lord, whose righteousness? Our righteousness. Remember I talked about justification. Justification is the act by which God, through faith, I put my trust in Him, He gives His righteousness to the Lord, our righteousness. Yahweh Tiskanu. His name shall be the Lord, our righteousness. The one who makes us right with God. Well, if that's not enough, then I just go to Revelation. So uh, Revelation 22.16, and you think, why do we have to do all this if it's this easy? It says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. Sorry. I could have just went there right out the gate, but I didn't want you to think. You can make the Bible say anything. The Bible says what it says. It means what it says. We don't have to wonder. We just have to spend the time looking. We got to want enough to say, what does this mean? And who is this talking about? Then you go to Revelation and Jesus, it's red letter, by the way, not on the screen. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. But it is in your Bible. I, Jesus, am the root and the offspring. He's the branch. He's the one, the fulfillment of Messiah, that, that is the key to, to our being received by Jesus Christ. He came so far for so much so that we could have it, so that we could be unified together in glorifying God. In verse 13, he tells us in Romans 15 that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that does it. See, this is what I was saying in the beginning. Sometimes we think, I gotta, I gotta figure out how to do this, or I gotta figure out how to do that. It's less about figuring out how you're going to have to do something and more about just being willing to allow the Holy Spirit to have His way. To respond. To have that in reality working in you. The power of the Holy Spirit will do it. Verse 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So we give our... Faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I come. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open the door, what's he say? I will come into him, right? So he comes into me. Jesus Christ comes into my life. That's why we say things like, have you asked Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior? It's simply answering the door on which God knocks. We all together? And now, as soon as we've done that, by faith we, we believe, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. He begins to work from the inside, changing our attitudes from the inside out. That's called sanctification. And he says, one of the side effects of the Holy Spirit working in your life is joy and peace. That's the side effect of the Holy Spirit working in your life. So if you're thinking right now, man, I don't have any joy and peace. I don't have any. Well, you may need to have a talk with the Lord. It may be that you are resisting. God is a is a gentleman. He'll come in and He won't make you open any doors. You can keep them all locked up in a closet if you want. But if He's locked up in a closet, there's no power in there. He wants it all. Open up all the doors. Let Him in all the rooms. Let Him be a part of everything. He wants to be central, right? If what's central for you is that job you got, or or it can even be a family. 
or children. If he's not central, then he's not central in your life. And the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is not going to be flowing. He's got to be central. You've got to put him in that place. You've got to give him that spot as many times as you have to give him that spot until he's got the spot. It's, it's you and I that withhold it, that can hold it back. But the fullness of joy and peace comes from God through believing. Not believing in joy and peace. It's not sitting around going uh, uh, um, positive confession. Okay, I believe joy and peace. I believe I have joy and peace. I believe I have joy and peace. That's not what it is. I believe in Him. He is central. He's central in my life. And that brings joy and peace. You get what I'm saying? Jesus said, My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. He doesn't give it and take it away and give it and take it away and give it and take it away. He gives it. You got it. It's there. Some of us just need to open up our hearts and of our lives. Open up things that we're closing off to the Lord. Allow God to take up residence and be central. And not have the centrality of your life be built around some other thing. Something shiny. That's called idolatry. But have the Lord central. And experience that power of the Holy Spirit flowing out of our lives with joy and peace. Joy and peace. Everybody worries so much about tongues. Tongues take care of itself. Joy and peace. Look, I can, I can fake tongues. I can fake prophecy. I can fake a word of knowledge. I can fake a lot of stuff. I have a hard time faking joy and peace. You just live. Come hang out. <laughs> Best example I know of joy and peace is my wife. Joy and peace. The Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, evidenced in the life of a believer who's trusting God and keeping Him central. The Holy Spirit will do it. So we can have unity. We should receive the body. We should be able to be unified because Christ is the main thing. And that's the focus that we hold on to. Then we see the last thing we're going to look at, 14 through 21. We're going to look at a unity of mission. We should be able to be unified in mission. Every church, every church's prime responsibility is the same. All the same. There's not 50 different missions, 300 different things that a church should be doing. Everybody has the same basic mission. <clears throat> Look what Scripture tells us. Verse 14. Now, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. So, so Paul's stating, he's looking at the people and saying, look, here's what I know. I know that, that you guys have grown. That you guys are, are in a good place, full of goodness. That they have an abundance of goodness, and they have an abundance of knowledge. So you should be able to admonish one another. The point that he's saying is, is you guys shouldn't be on the sideline watching. You guys have enough of this stuff in you to be doing See what the church is doing. The church isn't about, let's get together and we'll have a committee and we'll pick a guy, and we'll kick him over there. And then we'll get together and kick another guy, and he goes over there. Now we're all able to admonish. We have, an, we have an abundance of goodness. Is Jesus Christ in you? Then you're full of goodness. Go, oh, Jackie. Not in, in me, nothing good dwells. I know in your flesh is what you mean. But in you... Dwell the Holy Spirit, 
In you lives Jesus Christ who said He'd come into you and sup with you and you with Him, that there would be communion between He and you. So you are full of goodness. And you are full of knowledge. And that's all that's necessary. The next part that's needed is a willing heart. Willing to admonish. That word admonish means instruct, to warn, to encourage. So he says, you're able to do this. You're able to go be part of the mission. Let's look at the mission. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you, because of the grace of God given to me, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, I've written this letter in response to the Holy Spirit's bidding. I've got, I've got a call in my heart. I've, I've written to you boldly. He, he's, the reason he's saying it's bold is he didn't plant Rome. But he's an apostle called of God, given the job to write out Scripture, and God laid on his heart to write this letter to Rome. Write the letter to Romans, which will become the book of Romans, to read to all the churches. So he says, look, I know this is, is bold, but i got to do it. The Holy Spirit put it on my heart, and I'm responding to the Holy Spirit. And that's a big key for those of us who want to be a part of the mission. Responding to the Holy Spirit, full of goodness, full of knowledge, able to admonish. But now, like Paul, i got to be willing to respond to what the Holy Spirit is, is asking me to do. How He is bidding. And then comes what I call the rub. The rub is this. He says that I might be a minister. You see that in verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. We have one word for minister in English. They have three in in Greek. Um, Doulos could be used, in in a form of doulos could be used for minister to serve. It's it's a word for slave. Diakonos could be used. It's a word we get for deacon, which could be used to serve. And then there's there's, uh, the word letreo. Letreo is is the word from which we get the word liturgical. Latreu is a type of service that means it's a sacred duty. So what Paul is saying is, this is my sacred duty in response to Jesus Christ, in response to His Holy Spirit, to to put together what I have written. And, And here's the point. It is my sacred duty that I be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles... So he's taking it to the Gentiles, ministering, again, Latreu, his sacred duty, the gospel of God, telling them what Jesus Christ has done for them, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable. I knew it was all about money. Did you guys know that? Is he talking about money there? Is it the offering? Oh, so that their offering would be acceptable. Preachers are all the same. No, the offering is the lives. He says, it's my sacred duty to take what Jesus Christ has given me. It's my sacred duty to take that and share it with others so that I have an offering to give to God. What's the offering? The Gentiles. Lives. Changed lives. That's the offering that he's giving. That's the mission of every church, of every believer, of every place, wherever you go. Along with that mission, we may feed the hungry, and we may build orphanages, and we may do all that. But that's not our mission. Our mission, our sacred duty, is to take what Jesus Christ has done for me, share it with others, watch their lives transformed to give an offering, acceptable, sanctified offering of changed lives 
to God Almighty. That's what the church does. That's the work of the church. That's what he's laying out for us here. Uh, That the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. It's my sacred duty. Now look at verse 17. (coughs) Therefore, I have a reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Paul says, look, I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to boast and I'm going to praise. But who's he doing it all in? In Christ Jesus. How is he able to do the work? Through Christ Jesus. How is he able to... What is the message that he's given? Was it one he created? No, it's one that came from Jesus Christ. It's all about... Jesus is still central. It's still all about him. So I can boast in Christ. In Christ Jesus is part of the most important thing that we that we can understand. That it's in Him, not me. It's in Him. I just got to be willing vessel. Oh, well, Jackie, I don't, I, I don't have the Bible memorized, and I don't know all of the answers. Look, here's what you do know. You know your God story. If you know God as your Lord and Savior, you have a God story. That's how God became your Lord and Savior. And that God story, nobody can tell but you. And Paul said it was his sacred obligation to share it so that he could see the love of God go out, change other people's lives, and go back to him. The mission. Unified in mission. (laughs) It says that it's Jesus Christ who gives him the words he speaks and the deeds he has done. Look at verse 19. Not only that, in mighty signs and wonders. So the miracles that happen, it's not you. It's not you. It's not your ability. It's not some amazing thing that you have that brings about a miracle. It's Jesus Christ. God does it. He gives to whosoever He wills the gifts necessary, the gifts of healing, the gift of, of whatever. Whatever the gift is that the Holy Spirit gives, He gives His time. Everybody doesn't get the same thing all the time, but everybody gets something. So everybody... <coughs> can see that it's Him that does the mighty signs and wonders. And He defines it for us in verse 19, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to... You guys try to say it. Say it again, Corey. You did so good. Where'd you go? Say it again. Illyricum. Look how good he is. Illyricum. We talked about it earlier. I still couldn't do it right. I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So all the miracles and signs, everything done through the power of the Holy Spirit, so He could go and do and be who He's supposed to be. Well, let's look at verse 20. And so, I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I would build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom <coughs> excuse me, He has not announced, they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. See, he's saying, i got one mission. Paul is like a, a, a one-trick pony. i got a mission. What's your mission, Paul? To take what Jesus Christ has done for me and give it to other people. That's, does that sound vaguely familiar? That, that fellow we celebrate at Christmas and Easter, Jesus, he said the same thing. Yeah, Matthew. You guys all heard me say it a hundred times. Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples. Right? We're to go. 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Unity in mission. Unity in attitude. Unity in worship. Unity in, in, in our acceptance of one another. Unity in mission. I'm, I'm thinking about all these unities as we've been working our way through chapter 15, and I decided I was going to throw out the word unity. And say, one. One attitude. One worship. We are one people. And we have one mission. And that's what he's telling us in in chapter 15. The dynamic unity that we have is that we are one. We are one. We've been looking at the, the expressions of God's righteousness in our life. Let's remind ourselves. We have a real dedication to the Lord in chapter 12. We have real love expressed without hypocrisy in chapter 12. We have a radical obedience to the law of the land as we obey through a a, a life lived out in love in in chapter 13. chapter 14, we have real freedom in Christ. In chapter 15, we have dynamic unity. For we are all one. One attitude. The strong owe it to the weak to bear with them, not to please ourselves, but to edify others. Following the example of Christ and the encouragement of the Scripture. We have one worship that we would with one voice glorify God for all He has done for us. We are one people. There are no distinctions in the body of Christ. We are one color, one creed, one people. And there is one mission. Take the good news of Jesus Christ to every ear. Release Him through your telling into their lives so that He can change their lives. Everywhere you have heard, now go and tell. And remember what it was Paul said in verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and you are able to admonish one another. Christ in you. The hope of glory. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can recognize the, 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 the fact all throughout Scripture you tell us we're one people. We may have 50 different names on the front of the church, but if the people inside the church worship Jesus Christ... As Lord and Savior, Almighty God of Almighty God, fully man, the sacrifice for our sins who rose for our justification and is looking to bring us to heaven for our glorification. Man, we're united. We're one people. One. Jesus, you prayed, John 17, that we would be one. That we would experience the joy and peace of the Holy Spirit working in our lives because we, in reality, have surrendered ourselves to you. We have asked you to be Lord and Savior. You are everything in us. You are central. And what naturally flows out of that is joy and peace. Paul would write to us in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Man, there's so many things that just flow through the life. Fruit naturally occurring in the life of someone surrendered to God. 
Lord, we pray that, God, you would, you would give us cause, Lord Jesus, that we would examine ourselves. If that's not who we are, if that's not what's happening inside of us, then, God, I pray we would get out of the way and let it happen. I pray that we would learn and desire to live our lives centrally focused on you so that we can be an expression of the righteousness of God that he gave to me by faith when I put my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Man, God, there's so much stuff here for us. And I pray, God, I, uh, limited by human speech and my ability, but I pray, God, that, that people are able to receive what it is that you're saying, what it is that you have. And that we make it a part of our life. And we, and we make you primary in our life. And we realize this is the greatest thing that has ever <coughs> happened. Lord God, we're just so thankful. And I do pray, God, I do pray, Lord, that we would be able to see that expression of joy in our lives as we surrender to you. And God, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you, hasn't surrendered to you, hasn't made a commitment. We have opportunity as we worship, Lord God, they can come forward and, and meet with the prayer counselor, be happy to pray with them as they surrender their life. It's, it's not hard. You just got to want to do it. Nobody else can do it for you. This one you have to do by yourself. And God, as they do, and as they surrender, and as they open up them doors, and as they lay wide the halls of their life, God, that you would take every square inch. And that you would allow us, your church, to be one. One people with one attitude with one worship, with one mission. To take the good news of Jesus Christ to anybody who doesn't know. That you would be glorified, properly praised for all the incredible things you have done in and through us, Lord. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for your perfect work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.